You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 313 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined today by Seth Miller. Mr. Hello, Miller. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm blanking on what area code 313 is, which bothers me. Uh, I don't know. 312 Chicago and 314 St. Louis, but I can't think of what 313 is. Now I gotta look it up. I think yeah. it's somewhere in California. Oh, nope, Detroit. Oh, uh, yeah. Detroit. I love that. I love that. Was well, I love that area codes were initially assigned based on how big and important the cities were. Mm. <laughs> well, it comes from rotary phones. No, that's true. Yeah, so it's easier so to dial. You needed to dial. You had a, if you were a big important city, you had a shorter number to dial. Mm-hmm. So two one two was New York. Two one three was Chicago. Uh, L A. Three one two was Chicago. Then I guess Detroit. Uh, St. Louis and 413 is, I forget that one too. I used to know all of these. Um, but like those were the biggest and most important cities that you had shorter phone numbers to dial. So, Mm -hmm. um, and now like, I also, I love that 908 was like Jersey, uh, (laughs) which is like the worst to make it, to make it hard. (laughs) Uh, what was it? What is it in New York with it's, there's, there was letters in the phone numbers at one point. All of them are like that. Klondike five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the basically when you switch when you had seven digit number, rather than remembering seven digits, you remembered a word, and the first two letters were translated into the letters on the phone. Mm-hmm. So Klondike Five was five five five. That's why it's in all the movies. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but they would be real ones. Um, you know, obviously for other things. Uh, yeah, four one three is that's a weird one. Is four one three was Western Massachusetts, which is I don't know how how they got priority on the listings. Over, I guess Eastern, Hartford was, over Eastern Massachusetts. Yeah, which is 617 and like the original. And like, I guess Hartford was a big deal. No, nah, Hartford's not even included. Hartford's in Connecticut. So that's me being an idiot. I just think of the airport being <laughs> so close there. Sorry. Um, yeah, Springfield. I don't know why uh, they got such a good phone uh, area code. But anyway. And, and here you thought you were going to get uh, just an aviation podcast. A- aviation. <laughs> and we're going to go off on. So some of the other ones are like, uh, like there's Klondike 5, there's Quincy zebra so you would use the first two letters to know what the first two numbers were well, you seeing quincy and zebra because q and z aren't really phone on the phone keypad oh that's right yeah fake exchanges Those okay, are fake. fake ones yeah <laughs> um yeah and i don't remember what the word like they all, but there were common words used for all of them i don't remember what yeah. they were but yeah um, anyway good stuff yeah you know nice and random to start so yeah i mean let's talk, let's follow up on last because we got a little bit of feedback uh about our comments on you know are you know you were complaining about having to travel and you weren't complaining about the act of traveling you were complaining about the act of traveling while covid is going on uh, i am going to firstly admit i really have no idea what i actually said uh, <laughs> so there's that uh i'm sure i meant it at the time so take that for what it's worth i was pretty tired and pretty groggy by the time uh that came around that was like a pretty long day for me but anyway um you know, that was day one of a four day trip. I had two other, I had a flight that morning and then two other flights later in the week. I, I, I continue to believe that if travel can be avoided right now, it probably should be for safety reasons, mm-hmm. which is not to say that it's bad or dangerous necessarily. But I think, you know, certainly I felt less safe out traveling than I did at home than I do at home. So, yep. um, was it the plane specifically? No. Uh, the plane, my flights were half full at best or at most. Um, so I felt comfortable with the amount of space and the limited number of people on board. If it got more crowded, I'm sure that would change. Uh, and so th- there's a lot of challenges there. I think, you know, ultimately the, the, the worrisome part of the conversation, um, that we had on Twitter or not worrisome so much as the part that I disagree with most strongly is the idea that 
we've already missed the boat on trying to contain COVID. And so we may as well just try to figure out how to exist with it. And given that there's some pretty good evidence that like just, you know, everybody wearing masks would actually stem spread pretty quickly. Um, I'm, I'm not willing to concede that this is, uh, that we've missed the boat yet mm-hmm. and that we are ready to just move on and pretend that, you know, we have, that we can find an economic balance that trades health. And more importantly, it's, it's not just me. I think a lot of economists have, you know, sort of, and public health, uh, public policy health officials have looked at this and said, you can do whatever you want to try to induce more, um, economic spending, travel, et cetera. But until the pandemic is under control, it's not going to happen. And especially for corporate business travel, where there's duty of care, right? A corporate travel manager can't reasonably tell someone you have to go to this place and travel on our corporate account, because we can't guarantee that you're going to be safe along the way. Mm -hmm. And there's liability challenges there, um, notwithstanding efforts to put liability shields into to push through the Senate. um, There's some real challenges there. Yeah. And and on top of that, like, it's not like companies that people are traveling to like people aren't in offices either. So oh, yeah, that was the other thing. Like I was in, I visited three office sites um, to review their IT infrastructure. Fine. Um, it was great that no one was in them because I didn't have to explain myself to many people and like be this weird guy wandering around through the office and everybody wondering about me. Uh, but at the same time, they had to send someone in special at two of the three offices for me. Yeah. To like show me around because otherwise people weren't there. <laughs> so like, yeah. Can, can you have a meeting somewhere? Not really. There's no one at the place you're going to meet. In most cases. Yeah, exactly. So, so like having, having, you know, the idea that, oh, all this is going to go away if people just stop traveling again. Well, there's nowhere to go if no one's there at the offices. Yeah. And so. you know, similarly for leisure travel stuff, like if museums are closed, if attractions are closed or limited, if all of those things, if restaurants are half occupancy, all of those things, like does, is it worth taking the trip is if there's nothing to do when you get there? And for some places and some things, it will, the answer will be yes. I saw pictures today from someone who went to Disney and waited an hour in line to go to the haunted mansion with like crazy spacing in the line. It was, it seemed like it was a mile long. I'm not, I don't, I don't think Disney's actually that large, but whatever. Um, it, it looked like he was very far away when he got to the back of the line. Uh, personally, not my thing to do. Again, not really keen on going into attractions like that. But um, even there, like limited occupancy and all those things. And they slowed everything down because they're trying to keep it clean. So mm-hmm. it's interesting there. Yeah. Well, I, you know, my, my, my famous phrase, it is what it is, right? <laughs> Second only to I hate you guys. Yeah, that, that, that. that's the one. Um. Southwest Airlines is kind of going crazy. They're getting creative with the need to grow their route network to continue their expansion and support the fact that they don't really want to furlough any of their employees. So so let's just fly to... O'Hare? Yeah. And And Intercontinental. Intercontinental. Yeah. I didn't realize they had flown to Houston Intercontinental previously. Yes. That that was new. I mean, like 2005, they started, I think. So it's been a while. Um, I should have known that, though. Um... I guess, whatever. Uh, yeah. So the, the announcement came this, uh, Monday morning that Southwest is going to add Intercontinental and O'Hare, uh, crosstown rivals to Hobby and Midway Hubs, uh, to its route network. Specific destinations, TBD, um, or TBA. I'm sure they know them and aren't sharing yet. But yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, I wonder if for Houston, if they'll start like cross Houston or cross Chicago. Flights. <laughs> I cannot imagine doing that. <laughs> I mean, it'd be awesome, but <laughs> well, to be to be clear, uh, you know, your Continental used to. Continental used to do it, and to uh, Ellington Field in Houston. Um, 
you kind of used to. I mean, like Crosstown didn't. I feel like there weren't there Crosstown flights in like across the bay in Oakland and things like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. We need Foz on here. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's more his specialty. But yeah, I mean, do you think? I mean, is it surprising to you that they didn't choose DFW? Apparently, there's a clause in their uh, Love Field contract that. Mm-hmm. If they start flying to any airport within 70 miles, they have to give up gates through 2024. Gotcha. Okay. So presumably that will happen in a few years. Um, uh, but yeah. Hmm. So yeah, I, I, I did think about that and some other, but I saw someone, someone educated me. So I'm now feeling better about that information. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly why they stopped flying out of Intercontinental. I think it was because they got big deal on hobby i cannot remember it i used to know this history yeah um where, where do you think they're gonna go though out of chicago and out of intercontinental is this international stuff do you think this is i think uh, it's all domestic i think it's gonna be domestic um for international they're gonna need better connecting flow and they're not mm-hmm. gonna have any at those airports mm-hmm. um uh but i think there's probably some options for Things like I, I, the other hubs, certainly, right? For mm-hmm. again, connections. But I, I'd like to think that they're going to, rather than do uh, connecting hu- like hub to hub stuff there, that they'd probably start some uh, specific point to point markets. Like that's actually where the value comes in. Do you think like uh, intercontinental to to Florida, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think though I I would actually guess that they'll try to find more businessy markets because there's I mean mm. for what level of business there may be, uh, more likely to find good revenue. Mm. Um, so I, I think that would be uh, a more likely play. Uh, it's also remember they uh, they're adding Miami also, which is an American hub. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, Southwest discontinues Houston. It discontinues service at Houston George Bush Intercontinental Airport in April second, April two thousand five. Um, six daily losses. nonstop flights between Intercontinental and Love Field, and that's all they operated when they pulled out. So I'd I'd like to think that they'll get they'll be more creative and uh, more broad uh, in their operations at that point. What's funny is they were going head to head with uh, American on that route. They were American was flying Intercontinental to Love. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but United or Continental wasn't. Uh, Continental did for a little while, but then they they dropped it. Just went to DFW. Uh, let me see. Yeah, it just went to DFW. Yeah. Yep. So. so anyway, yeah, I just I don't know. I, I, I think there'll be more than just that. Certainly um, at this point, I think they'll open up a broader range of routes because they what's the, what's the, what's the driver here, though? I mean, it's it's really the crosstown traffic, right? Like it's people flying out of Chicago here typically live west side of Chicago, north side uh, or west side, north, north side. Yeah. And then and then intercontinental, it's mostly the north side of Houston. Uh, yeah. Goes. So, right. Like if you live between the two airports, you can take whichever one you want. But if you live on the far side of one, um, take our our regular listener, Reed, who desperately wants more JFK or Islip surface. He lives past JFK. Mm-hmm. Newark is a terrible option for him, even though theoretically both of those serve New York City. I lived in Manhattan and didn't care. Yeah. Right. So if you've got someone living north side of Houston, was it the the Woodlands. the Woodlands is Katie. Is that a thing? Uh, Katie's on the west side. West side. Okay. So that's more between the two. Uh, it, neither of them are close. <laughs> neither is useful. Okay. Whatever. Like, but yeah, pick a neighborhood and, and especially in Houston, around Houston, like these are huge neighborhoods, right? It's not yeah. like it's a couple of people. These are cities unto themselves, really. If one of the airports is that much closer, you know, and you want to try to pick up some of that traffic, I mean, I could, you could argue like you they're far enough apart that you're probably not going to cannibalize your own, uh, demand at the other one. 
And when you're starting to do things like run non-hub point-to-point service to it, like the United and JetBlue's uh, additions into Florida this winter, or um, things like that, when when it's truly a what demand can we find anywhere on the route map and see if we can make it work within our operations, things like this start to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my parents live on the southwest side of Houston, and they always go to Hobby. Um, I used to live just north of downtown, north and west of downtown, and I never went to Hobby because the options to get down there meant I had to go through downtown and deal with traffic, and I could yeah. just go to Intercontinental, and I had multiple routes to get there. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it would always, you know, if, if I wanted to take a Southwest flight and it was out of Intercontinental, I'd probably take it out of Intercontinental. I mean, right, so that's the question: like, how much cheaper would Southwest have had to been for you to want to have driven through downtown to get to Hobby to take the flight? A uh, couple hundred bucks at least, right? Which is. <laughs> An unreasonable position to, for the airline to be in. Yes. In that context, right? I mean, you know, maybe 20, 50 bucks, but a couple hundred ain't going to happen. And so, yeah, it, I, I, I get where they're coming from. I, part of me wonders, like, you know, what is this traffic demand that they see? And is this, you know, Southwest is being, we'll say, less aggressive in cutting its capacity right now compared mm-hmm. to United, who's been very aggressive in cutting capacity, right? And so in that context, is this like, hey, we can grab share from them. Uh, maybe it's hard to tell that grabbing share right now matters given that it's all money losing share. Yeah. Um, although, you know, you get, we're past the PSP era, so can, you can't just park the planes at this point and still like make good money at it. Yeah. Yep. Um, there are some costs coming in. Southwest is going to have a whole bunch of Macs in theory pretty soon because those deliveries are likely to restart mid late November. Hmm. I saw someone posted today, like, uh, they were like, oh, look, Southwest committed to buy 50 A321 Neos, uh, and, and it was a Rick roll. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> that was just kind of great. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, to me, this, this makes sense from the perspective of if you can capture enough of the North Houston market, right? Which is pretty large and, and the, and the Chicago, West and North markets, yeah. right? Yeah, you can, you could probably do okay if you can find well, the right also destinations. Th- also think of it as like, Middle America markets where Southwest is way stronger, Kansas City mm. or uh, St. Louis, right? Like markets that have historically been Southwest bread and butter, maybe hub or hub like uh, mm-hmm. Nashville, where they do a lot of connecting flow, things like that, where they have a more loyal customer base flying to north side of Houston or north side of Chicago businesses or west of, you know, western suburb businesses, right? Mm-hmm. My, my wife did, had a project in quote unquote Chicago. When early on when we were dating that she hated because if she was stuck in the West Chicago suburbs and it took her an hour to drive four miles from the hotel to work every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But those are people that would never fly to Hobby uh, to Midway because it's an hour plus an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, not to get there. not even close, right? Like it's yeah. Doubling, so it, even if it's it. you know thirty miles, it's still a huge amount of time. So um, there, there, and so I, I think of it less about trying to capture business from Houston to Chicago, and more about capturing business at other places, going to those markets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you think you know in Chicago or even in um, Houston? What I mean, I think Houston we kind of know, but where in Chicago would they fly out of? Like what I mean, term? Gates? Yeah. L, um, I guess. Well, it's either M, which is the international, which no one likes uh, as domestic operations, or which, by the way, did they ever finish fixing that stupid train? Not yet. I don't think so. I haven't seen an announcement. <laughs> that was like supposed to be done early last year. Um, yeah. yeah so. Or, I, you know, there's been, I heard some interesting suggestions that maybe they uh, take gates from JetBlue, 
which is at L, which is at L, I think. Yes. Um, it's the last, like, last pier in T3. Yeah, that's L, yeah. Um, and they have a couple of gates out there, but, you know, relatively limited operation. It's, and part of that is they may be able to do them as, like, shortest shared use because JetBlue's clustered timing, um, if they, they could alternate or something like that. I don't know. They're, yeah, you, know, you think about this and the rumor we talked about a little bit last week of United coming back to JFK and where would they fly out of and how would they do it and all those things. And part of it, like, it doesn't matter. Mm. That if they've made the announcement, they've talked to someone at the airport and they figured out how they're going to do it. They, they've got gate space figured out. I mean, we can guess and try to figure it out, but also one of these days someone's just going to tell us. So yeah, they'll, they'll just tell us what's going. This, on. this isn't a hypothetical. Like, well, if we can get gates and 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 this is no, we're announcing we've got it up, ready to go. Yeah. Crazy times. Crazy times. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of crazy going on right now. I'm not sure this is any worse. Yeah. Uh, well, I never thought one of the announcements would be, you know, Southwest flying out of O'Hare, but that's, that's just me. Um, Alitalia is, is kind of dead again? Well, ish. <laughs> the Italian government has created a new shell company, uh, Nucorp. Very unique naming. Uh, it'll get obviously get branded at some point to buy out the remnants of Alitalia and roll it into a new airline. And I think there's something about it's got a code ITA, which I'm not sure if that's an ICAO code um, or something else, but that's the sort of theoretical internal um, code it's being used. Yeah, I actually think it might not. Uh, I think ITA might not be assigned. Um, so. Yeah, there is ITA software, of course. Uh, so so what's 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 the goal with this though? Is this is this to kind of move expenses potentially in a restructure, or what? What are we talking about here? Uh, oh, Interair in the United States has ITA registered in ICAO, so that's they don't, I don't know if they still exist anymore or not, but that's an interesting thing. Uh, I, I think it's about shutting down the old operation and rolling it into a new one, so they can effectively renegotiate everything um, where possible. Although the union seemed to be supporting this. So who the hell knows? Hmm. Um, and a new structure of some sort. I also got an email telling me that the uh, mile milia frequent flyer program is being extended another year. So that's exciting. No. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you this frequent flyer program is like a ridiculous operation that it's set to only operate for like two or three years, unless they extend it. And if they choose not to extend it, like when it closes, everything expires and they start a new program again like, with the <laughs> same name and everything else. But like everything that had happened under this point is gone and we're just starting over. It's super bizarre. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, crazy. At least for now it's keeping, uh, it's staying in business for, uh, another year. So I, I guess, uh, it's kind of dead just in, so in, I, I, in name only. <laughs> yeah, so the name only thing is super, it's also super interesting. Like at this point, as much as we make fun of it and laugh and any of those things, would you, uh, would you drop? The Alitalia branding name and launch a new company, new airline name at this point? No. Me neither. Yeah. I mean, for all the whatever, you know, for all the mocking of it we do, it's still a, just the marketing and the cost of marketing and rebranding, the value there of the name is huge. I'd still have to think so. Yeah. I mean, I think like during a pandemic, I don't think people really care about the name of your airline, honestly. Yeah. And, but even beyond that, like, even if it wasn't a pandemic and they were having to rebuild, you know, refund it because they did, right? This <laughs> It was bankrupt before the pandemic, too. I wouldn't imagine that renaming it would have been a smart choice given the value that the Alitalia brand – I mean, right? we joke about, like, can you mortgage a brand and things like that and what the value does it really have? I've often questioned, like, why would you – why would a lender give you money against the brand as the collateral? 
Mm. At the same time, in this, you know, how much would it cost them to launch a new brand and regenerate the Alitalia name recognition and all of those things, which, again, for all the problems it has, is still reasonably strong around the industry, around the globe. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Um, yeah, kind of crazy. We had a listener, Ben Neymar Grouse, sent us a link to Financial Times and how the Vatican has used charity funds to bet on Hertz uh, credit derivatives. This is the this is the most okay. This might be the weirdest thing we talked about on the show. Definitely weird. <laughs> definitely more weird than hot. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Hey, listen, man. Religion's big money. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, what's what is the actual story here? Because it seems like they were just taking what was donated to the church and using it to uh, purchase derivatives on. Well, I I think it's a little more broadly than that. All donate, and this is amongst any sort of major organization, charity type situation. You have a uh, an endowment, if you will, and you invest that money. Yeah. Right. You, you want to. You don't just put it in a piggy bank or you know a crappy interest bearing savings account and hope that you know it grows over time. You try to invest and out to the markets and continue to grow your funds. So right, there's the joke that Harvard is a hedge fund that happens to operate a university. Um, not quite the same as you know. Uh, Blue ca- a blue chip uh, oil refinery that happens to also operate an airline, for example. <laughs> but it, the concept is similar, right? If you, especially with the amount of money you're talking about there, like yes, the airline or the the church is going to have a significant amount of money invested all over the place, you know. It, and at the time, the Hertz, uh, you know, the Hertz stock was trading in a rather ridiculous way over the summer, despite despite its bankruptcy. If they can make some money, like they were going to try, yeah. So it's yes, it is absolutely bizarre. Um, and hysteria, you know, the the context and sort of whatever makes it sound amusing. I, I would we be laughing at it if it wasn't a church and it was just some other random hedge fund? I guess eh, probably not, right? And so I don't have particularly high uh views on organized <laughs> religion, so oops. <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny, so thanks it to, no, it's to absolutely ben. hysterical. Yeah, thanks to Ben for sending that in. I do appreciate it. Uh, Something else we were going to talk about, uh, you know, we talked about this before, but Alaska has finally set a one world entry date and they have kind of been wishy-washy on this, but it seems like they're settled down. And yeah, it was, we're going to, they were rushing the thing and then COVID and they slowed it down a little. And then it was going to be right. It was going to be before the end of the year. And then it was going to be next year at some point. Now we've got a, they've announced a date, a target specific date, which is March 31st, 2021. So later than people were hoping for. Um, and I think later than they originally had planned, because originally they were hoping to get it done by the end of this year. Um, so now we're going to be three months into next year, um, which is a little bit disappointing. But uh, yeah. does it you really know, matter? You're not going anywhere. This is true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's good news that there's finally a date to it. We'll see if they yeah. stick to it. Uh, they, they, so, right. They, they set the date. But in the announcement that they set the date, they also mentioned we still have all these things to do. Right. They're, it's not that they have everything ready and they're just waiting to get there. They've got a crap ton of work to do in the next five months, five and a half months to be able to get all the systems to talk and all that interoperability set up and make sure all the contracts and bilateral deals are secured and all that other stuff. So I like how they I like how they um kind of used a little wordplay and they focused on the Pacific Northwest destinations. You'll be able to fly more easily from Boise to Beijing or Portland to Prague. It's like, okay, thanks. You know, <laughs> when I can, when I can get to Prague, I'll let you I say know. Also, vaguely <laughs> ironic, like Portland to Prague, you would do BA or yeah, AA, be- both of which were partners already. Yeah. Boise to Beijing. AA, Jiao, brilliant, 
I guess. <laughs> well, so Jowl's a double connect. I'm trying to do it in a single connect. You'd go via Seattle onto Henan, which is a partner, right? So Seattle, Henan. It doesn't see, is there a Beijing Seattle flight on Henan? I think so. I think there is, yeah. I think there's Beijing, Shanghai, and something else, yeah. So I just I, I love alliteration. I think mm-hmm. they picked poor examples. Yeah. They picked poor pairs to play with. Uh, mm-hmm. since I like alliteration so much. See there? Uh, <laughs> poor pairs. Poor pairs. Poor pairs to play. Um mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I'm just being obnoxious now, but like, always, does, does the partnership change those things? Probably not. <laughs> I'm just, I, I always forget that Malaysia is part of One World. <laughs> well, if it still exists. Yeah. That's, that's another one. I don't know. We, we didn't have it on the list, but they were talking about needing to get, to get lessors to rewrite all their loans on the, on their fleet, uh, to be able to stay in business. And the government, which owns the, the, the Malaysia government investment fund owns the airline has said it won't put more money in unless they can get some of the leases rewritten. And the, the, the lessors initially have balked at that request. So there's some question about whether Malaysia Airlines is going to still be in business. Wow. Which is only a problem because Air Asia, which is the other huge airline in Malaysia, uh, is also play, like, uh, Tony Fernandez said he wants to drop 60 of the 240 planes. They've shut down Japan, which we talked about last week. India is maybe on the brink, um, and has been for some time. And there's some dis- debate over whether they can get Tata to buy it out or something else will happen. And then also some questions about like just longer term, how that's going to last, right? They, they've done this whole pivot to we're going to be a lifestyle app that happens to launch an airline mm-hmm. or run an airline thing, right? I mean, it's, they want to have – they've got their AirAsia Play app or whatever it's called now. And it's like they've got money transfers and logistics and delivery services and food and all these other things that they're much more focused on than running an airline, which short term makes sense because running an airline right now is a pretty poor way to try to make money. Yeah. But hmm. longer term, they clearly want to also not be an airline so much. Something to definitely like keep an eye on as far as what they do in the future, how that plays out, right? Like- yeah. If they're going to stay. Yeah, if Malaysia loses its two biggest airlines. That's an awkward situation real quick. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else we got? IATA. Good old IATA is saying that uh, you're less likely to catch COVID on a plane than you are to get struck by lightning. Yay. Yeah. I I don't like that statistic. Um, yeah. A, the, the numbers are very wildly. Um, but, uh, you know, it, like – the the statistic of your how likely you get struck by lightning they take like the total number of lightning strikes that hit people and divide it by the number of people in the country or the world and say that's your odds mm-hmm. those are not your odds or uh, more to the point there are things you can do to dramatically affect the odds for or against you yeah. for example if you live in a desert you are much more less likely to get struck by lightning because you know there aren't thunderstorms if you stay inside you are less likely to get struck by lightning because you're not outside. If you happen to be walking around on a golf course holding a four iron over your head in a thunderstorm, you are perhaps more likely to get struck by lightning, mm-hmm. um, a la Caddyshack. So, you know, there's – and maybe it was a putter, but whatever. Uh, you know, there's – yes, there's a lot of things in life that are more likely to cause you long-term harm or damage or death than uh, getting on a plane right now. Planes are incredibly safe things, uh, modes of transportation, and continue to be. And this sort of goes back to our competition at the beginning of the episode – I just think that there's also an opportunity to perhaps not add risk that's unnecessary while there's still so much uncertainty about what the treatment is going to be, the testing protocols, um, transmission vectors, which are still continuing. We're getting continuing evolution of what the knowledge is on those things. Um, I just don't see it as worth the risk. And I, it sucks for the industry. I get that. The industry is pays a lot of my bills, too. Um, I'm not happy about this, but like 
it's not good, but I, I, it's hard for me to endorse the idea of, oh no, we should definitely just, you know, being on the plane, definitely, you, you almost definitely won't catch COVID while you're sitting on the plane. So it's a good idea to start flying as much as you can right now. Yeah. I, I, I have a hard time making that leap. Yeah. It's the wrong message to, to get out to people. And I, I guess my frustration beyond all of that is like the industry could, I don't know, say, and, and they've gotten better at this, um, in certain areas, but could be far more vocal about, we need politicians to say everybody has to wear a mask. We need to demand testing become rapidly, you know, rapid testing available cheap and maybe even paid for by the government. Like there are things, and IATA has pushed some of that stuff a little bit. Uh, it's been less aggressive on the masks and more aggressive on the testing. Um, and the testing is only a recent shift. Um, when you start, you know, you start hearing like the bigger airlines, you know, the U.S. airlines haven't really pushed the government to demand masks for everyone. They've established their own rules. And they've sort of left it to the unions to ask for masks and get denied um, repeatedly by various branches of the federal government currently. But even with the like the trying to get the PSP extension, the airlines themselves were like, well, we, we support our unions in their efforts to do this. And only at the very end did the airlines try to get a little more directly involved in those negotiations, all to no avail. But I don't know. I feel like if the airlines want the industry to recover, they need to recognize that there isn't going to be an industry. There's all of these, op, you know, all this discretionary stuff isn't coming back until there's healthcare situation resolved. Yeah. So. Oh man. Uh, also, not going to get struck by lightning. I uh, so another question, kind of along the same lines, is I'm sure you've heard the rumor of this potential air bridge in air quotes between New York and London for yeah. travel. Um, you know, they're looking to have shorter quarantine times or no quarantine for those two destinations. Um, for the holiday season, uh, thoughts or you kind of the same, you kind of feel the same way. Like we need more testing and things. So the, the bubbles corridor, whatever was to be predicated on aggressive testing as well. Mm. That was part of it. Um, my, my biggest concern with it right now is, you know, we, we, we talk about, or the, the places that have the testing requirement for entry at all. Um, generally it's, you know, within 72 hours, PCR test in most cases. And then when you arrive, you're, if you have a negative test with you, you're exempt from quarantine. Putting aside the fact that like Hong Kong has that rule in place and people keep boarding planes in various parts of the world and showing up in Hong Kong and then get tested positive when they get there, despite having evidence of a negative test. Hmm. Um, there are challenges like you don't have enough, uh, of the a viral load in your body to test positive typically for 48 to 72 hours. Hmm. So that 72-hour window, like if I get tested and then, you know, ride the subway home or whatever and get sick on the ride home, maybe it's in a taxi, maybe it's I lick a hand doorknob, I don't know, whatever it is, um, somehow I find myself ill now, infected, the negative test isn't going to reflect that. And it might not even reflect if it's, I get a, you know, if I get it 24 hours before, it might not even reflect it till after I arrive. Yeah. Um. So testing on arrival might not be enough. And this part of that is... The sensitivity of the tests and the accuracy levels and false negatives and all those things. Um, again, this is a brand new disease. I mean, it you know, feels like we've been talking about it forever, but it's less than a year old. Like the, the metal, medical progress we've made thus far is amazing, relatively speaking, given how new it is. Right. So there are some challenges there. Now, you know, my, I still think that if it's, if you do something like this, it's sort of a test before you get to, you know, test some days in advance to make sure you're probably healthy to go test at the airport before you leave uh, and maybe a test a couple days after you arrive mm. is probably enough. And at least in, and you know, maybe, maybe it's a short quarantine waiting on that test after arrival. Maybe it's no quarantine with uh, tracing, you know, app based tracing is required or something. I don't know. Um, 
some additional level of at least if you know you've turns out that you become you know test positive at some point along the way there's a way to track that and better notify people you might have been in contact with yeah don't have to tell those people don't have to tell those people on the plane though because you can't catch covid on the plane exactly exactly (laughs) Uh, although now the other thing i can't understand is apparently we don't there's some manufacturers and companies are saying turn the vents on and some are saying turn the vents off and i can't figure that one out at all so i i was having this discussion with somebody just kind of off topic, but I was having this discussion with someone the other day about what is, I think one of the issues we have is the amount of not misinformation, but conflicting information, right? Like there's people like you guys are the experts get together, talking out before you go. Like, like I don't, I don't go to my client with a coworker and tell them something and then have my coworker tell them something else. Like we get together beforehand, figure out what we're going to say. And then we say it. It feels like that has been a lot of COVID for most You're of You're a very good consultant, Stephen. I try. <laughs> uh, I'm, more of a, I'm more of a tap dancing kind of guy. I show up and just go with whatever's said. Jazz fingers, baby. Kicking each other under the table. Don't say that. Now, I... I Yes, there has been, and again, part of it is like, this is what we think is happening, and then we learn new things, and that's not what's happening anymore, and like, why do we still have some of the rules that are in place? Because they're based on, old, like, why, you know, why are parks closed? Why did, you know, outdoor activity, it turns out, is actually pretty safe with spacing, so why do we keep the beaches closed for so long? Like, mm-hmm. you know, crowded beaches might be a, a bit of a problem, but less of a problem than crowded indoors, and things like that, and so it did take some time to figure out what was going on, and it's conflicting information like that, but... Um, yeah, the, I mean, the, and, I, and I'm fine with correcting information. What I have a problem with is kind of like what you're saying. You have like one company saying, turn off the vents. One company say, turn on the vents. It's like, come on, you guys need to talk before you just start yeah. blurting things out. And yeah, like, but airlines saying like, no, we're keeping our vents off. Maybe they don't have HEPA filters. They have other filters, but that seems weird because I mean, on modern airplanes, most of them are HEPA anyways, but who knows? Not, but not, uh, to be fair, not all airplanes at the beginning of this had HEPA filters because I got a number of press releases from companies announcing they had a new version of their filter that was now HEPA rated. Hmm. That they could drop into the existing hardware, you know, the existing frame, and all of a sudden you get, you know, at, at whatever, 5x better filtration or whatever it was. So, hmm. yeah. I'd, be inter- I'd be interested, just another off-topic little thing, I'd be interested to know, like, what what uh, effect the HEPA filters have, right? Because if you put a, a uh, what is it, a MERV, higher than MERV 13 in your house, like, you, there's a significant effect to the pressure pulled that's into the AC, which makes the AC run less efficiently. So... I'd be interested to know what that does to an airplane. I'm sure it's a little different because you're not using, you know, positive pressure necessarily to, yeah. to, and, to move air. And most of the moder- more modern airplanes, like the one I remember, I think it was a Dash 8, the 200 series, didn't have it by default, but now can you can buy one. Mm-hmm. Um, the newer planes were engineered with HEPA from the get-go. Gotcha. Okay. So even if there are issues and, you know, it has to work harder to push air through the smaller holes and whatnot, or pull air through the smaller holes, whichever direction it's going, um, it was engineered for that. So mm, gotcha. I will say United has a pretty cool display in the middle of Terminal C uh, after you get through security on the C1 pier of a uh, 787 HEPA filter. Uh, say, yeah, 787 HEPA filter just sort of sitting there in the middle of the terminal. Hmm. It's pretty big. Interesting. It's so like two, did, two and a half make... feet by two and a half feet and eight inches thick, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like surprisingly big. Did you feel better after seeing it? No. Oh. I was aware of the HEPA technology and how it works, though. So <laughs> I probably wasn't the target audience. Uh, anything else we want to talk about? I think that's pretty much the show. Yeah, I think we're probably good. We've managed to ramble about many things that we didn't plan to talk about, so that's always a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Um, for our Patreon supporters, we're going to be talking a little bit about more about the Alaska thing, um, in particular the Alaska points conversion that was going on. Uh, by the time you hear this, it's over, and we're just going to talk about kind of some of the economics behind that. 
Uh, but to our regular listeners, regular listeners, thanks for listening. If you want to hear more of the show, uh, become a Patreon supporter. Um, you can leave us a comment, send us an email, tweet us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, until next time, happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care.